0: Welcome to Cooking the Books with me, Julie Smith. And this week I'm with River Cottage chef and tutor, author and king of outdoor cooking, Gil Mello. His new book, Root, Stem, Leaf, Flower, is the third in his series of meditations on his relationship with food and the land and concentrates purely on plants, layering flavours but also exploring where they come from where they could go.
1: It's as simple as this. If we eat more locally grown, seasonal fruit and vegetables, we will be having a positive impact on the environment and nature in general and the community that we live and work within.
0: It's simple but cook-savvy ideas of how to transform the food from the land into something utterly sublime on the plate makes it the current favourite of the plant-based books on the market and its photography by longtime collaborator Andrew Montgomery transforms the humble vegetable. To a work of art. I caught up with Gill in the Zoom room of his home overlooking the Jurassic coast of Dorset and asked him what an omnivore like him wanted to achieve with a plant based book.
1: It's a, it's a book for anyone who loves to cook um, and loves good food and um, likes the idea of learning a bit more about where food comes from and how it's grown. Um, our approach to anything we love doing evolves as we get older. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're an architect making buildings or, you know, a painter um, creating lovely works of art or you're a cook in a, in a kitchen. Your approach to the way you see your ingredients or your materials or, your, you know, your, your medium um, changes. Years ago when I started with River Cottage, you know, I was a very naive cook. Um, and, and rightly so, because I hadn't been cooking for for that long. Um, but over the time that I've spent there, uh, working with the people I was lucky enough to work with, learning from all these different authorities on, on one area of food or another, uh, gradually my opinions and, um, ideas around how food is produced and how it's uh, subsequently cooked um, changed and morphed and, and became, uh, as, as you said, uh, kind of solidified and, um, and honed. So now I can look back at my, at my time in the kitchen um, and, and understand how, how I've kind of progressed and, and why I've ended up putting this book together. Um, It's a culmination of everything that I've learned and it represents where I am now in in food and um, it will probably go on to change again. You know,
0: it's what you do, isn't it? You meditate on time, on ingredients, on moments, on and this moment is actually about plants yeah it's about sustainability it's about the future of farming it's about soil it's about climate change it's it's very much in that and the way that you talk about that I mean I'd like you to, to go to your first food moment and give us an example of how okay. you approach those really complicated uh, issues yes. with a very light touch and a very sort of poetic beautiful uh, touch Um perhaps you'd read The first bit of the introduction, when I close my eyes.
1: Of course I will, yes. When I close my eyes and taste gooseberries, just as they are, I know certain things will happen around me. The ash trees will finally be in leaf and the buzzards will come home. I want to pick tarragon and buy vinegar and start swimming in the sea again. The taste will remind me of elderflower and when the white sprays die, blackcurrants. In a way, eating a gooseberry is like being taken at light speed through a network of memories, linking happiness, anticipation, loss and longing. It will have been a year since I last experienced these feelings, and it will be another until I feel them again. Although things may have changed by then, and the gooseberry may connect me to a new aspect of life, its taste will always anchor me to the natural world and to a time and place. Sometimes I think the most interesting thing about an ingredient is not the ingredient itself.
0: Which is what the book is all about, isn't it?
1: Yes. You know, there, there is a message here uh, and a message throughout the book that's sort of uh, hard-hitting and very and, and relevant and important. Um, but I just wanted to, to approach it in a way that felt um, that felt sort of gentle and, and natural and not coming from a a kind of, it's, it's very difficult. I didn't want to come from a scientific point of view at all. I didn't want to be on a soapbox shouting, you know, how things should be done, how we should be eating. It's a, it's just a balance of of getting the pitch and tone right. So people don't get scared off, um, but they want to listen and they, you know, they read it with, and, and understand it, if you know what Absolutely. I mean. Absolutely.
0: And it couldn't have come at a better time. It's quite magical, the timing of this, isn't it? The lockdown has been awful for so many people, but actually it's been a, an awakening for a lot of people as well. And in this beautiful sort of early summer that we're talking about now, we've had amazing weather and there's been often no other option as other than to sit and just be in this time. And for many people like us in the countryside, it's been a time just to sit and, and watch the plants grow and notice things that we haven't had time to think about before. And also the return to localism, growing our own food, cooking, spending time rediscovering what's right under our noses.
1: Absolutely. The opportunity that we've all had just to slow down and take a break and and open our eyes. To, to the world around us has has, has been incredible, really I know it 's been an awful, awful set of circumstances, but within all that um, there has been the opportunity to to see things through through a new set of eyes, and that might just be how spring has turned into summer or it might be watching you know watching the the um, the daffodils come up in in the park, uh, listening to the bird's song uh, hearing you know hearing a stream babbling by whatever it is. Uh, these moments we don 't usually get time for um, in our in our sort of normal everyday busy busy lives so um, perhaps yes, some of us have have reconnected or or connected uh, for for the first time. with with a more natural way of life and 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 with the environment around us um so in terms of the the context of of the book you know there there are parallels there um the book is all about reconnecting with a more natural way of life through uh, the food that we eat um it's about changing our approach to cooking and eating ever so slightly um, small changes can actually have a have a positive impact a big impact believe it or not
0: yeah I mean it's my it's my favorite plant-based book because as I said to you before it has a much more sort of culinary tone I like to cook it's I don't just like to whack a whole load of vegetables together I like to to play with new ideas and you know gosh there are so many ideas in cookery it's infinite isn't it and
1: well that's amazing if it's your favorite plant-based book and you know books then I'm very flattered.
0: Well genuinely it is because it's more fun to play with playing with new ideas and playing with stuff from from the from the land which is rich is really important. You talk about food in terms of hope and you mention your children now your children are at home with you they wouldn't normally be your one of your daughters would be at university but life as i say is is locked down and unusual and i wonder if this opportunity to to really slow down gives us a kind of hope
1: well a bit further on in the introduction um there's a paragraph which sort of sums up that that idea and i'll read it out Uh, one of my main concerns lies in the way we produce food today so much of it seems to be grown reared or harvested in unsustainable and unethical ways Some forms of farming are so intensive that they are draining the world's natural resources, damaging our soil and warming our planet. In fact, when I stop and think about what's happening to our forests and oceans, I start to feel angry and scared. The scale of the problem can leave people feeling helpless and confused. What is it exactly we're all supposed to be doing? How do we help create a brighter future for our children? For us all to live in a way that enhances the natural world seems almost impossible. But I do believe there are a few things we can do that can only be positive, both for the environment and for our own health and well-being.
0: And what are those, Mr Meller? Tell us the answer to life, the universe and everything.
1: (laughs) Well, I can only give you my opinion um, on one of the things we can do to to help create a a brighter, greener future, and that is to change the way we eat. Um, And it's as simple as this. If we eat more locally grown, seasonal um, fruit and vegetables, uh, we will be having a positive impact on on the uh, environment, on on nature in general, and and the community that we live and and work within, perhaps. Um, I would emphasise that, Eating veg is fantastic, wherever it's come from. But eating organically grown or vegetables that have been grown uh, within an organic model, uh, certified or not, is the best way, I think, we could go about um, eating veg. Um, That's because vegetables that have been grown... Overseas that have been uh, picked and wrapped in plastic and shipped across the ocean or flown across halfway across the world um, won 't be doing as much good for the for the environment as as um, shopping seasonally and locally and supporting farmers and growers that are working in harmony with with nature so that 's my idea if we can get more people to support these guys that are doing such a great job, uh, as I, and uh, I'll reiterate, whether they're organically certified or not, if they're working in harmony with nature, it is so positive yeah. and has so many positive ramifications, you know? Yeah. Um, so...
0: Localism. I mean, we don't, yeah, we don't talk about yeah. it enough. We kind of make it into a zeitgeist by calling it hyper-local, but it's actually just... Good old shopping local, you know, going to the farm gate during lockdown. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of farmers who need our help right now. Um, grow your own. You're growing your own. Um, yes. Instagram's full of your wonderful, beautiful looking um, produce. Looks much better than mine. You're so neat.
1: <laughs> and that, yes. Another opportunity that I that I jumped on when we went into lockdown was to... To set up this um, small little kitchen garden that I could grow a few of my own ingredients for for the kitchen in, and uh, yeah, it's it, actually now it's it's doing really well. I've just pulled a big bunch of beetroot oh, out I of the saw, ground, oh,
0: I saw uh, on which,
1: which I which I sowed several several months ago. That was really exciting. I made a, a lovely salad uh, with um, Cornish new potatoes and eggs from down the road, and uh, if if you've got a little bit of space to do do any kind of growing at home then you know hats off to you yeah. get on with it it's and fantastic. there are
0: plenty of people growing microgreens on their kitchen table in their inner city london flat uh, that i've seen on instagram yes. so everyone can have a go let's talk a little bit about how you approach some of your plants. You write poems from the plant's perspective. And you, <laughs> have, you and your lovely photographer, Andrew Montgomery, have painted pictures of them through his amazing photography. Let's talk about the poems first. Which ones have you chosen as your third food moment?
1: I'm going to read out one that I really, really like. It's about fennel. Or it's, it's in the voice of fennel, Okay. Um, And it's a very short poem. They're all quite short. And uh, it goes like this. Every evening after work, you'd come down to the field to tend to me and sit in your chair. Sometimes I'd hear you talking to yourself about the summer fair. That year, the town officials gave you second prize. I'd never seen you happier than then. I can tell you the idea behind that basically it's it, there's a, there's a row of fennel in in the ground and the fennel's uh talking to the gardener who's been looking after them who's who's sown the seed and, and and grown the plant um this old chap who who looks after his his fennel in in his allotment um turns out he he takes the fennel down to the to the summer fair and he wins he he gets second prize in the competition it's completely mad it's just a little sort of um just a little sweet thing uh, the, the the reason the poems made it into the book and the reason they're in the voice of vegetables is because without them i felt that the book was was lacking a sort of light-hearted sort of fun aspect um because, as we've just discussed, you know, there is quite a serious message uh, within the pages of the book. And, th- and these poems, these funny little prose, just sort of lift, lift it up and, and
0: uh, they're fun. It's not interesting. You see, I saw them as completely different. I see it as very British for a start. I see it as full of voice, your voice, your philosophy voice, but I see it as full of voices of the plants. So the celeriac. For example, yes. Or no? Actually, the radicchio is 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 better one, a better example Uh, because it's you feel for it. Yeah, that
1: that little poem about the radicchio is 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 sat opposite one of my favourite pictures in the book, Um, uh, an image of a radicchio lettuce. But the poem goes like this: Small people don't understand us. It's upsetting for everyone. We'll never be. Milk for their bones, sleepy rusk. We're a bitter memory they learn to love. Um, and that's, that's actually very true. And I like it, it's sweet. Um, kids, kids don't like uh, bitter, bitter leaves. They, in they fact, don't. they don't like anything bitter, really. But as we grow, as we, as we learn, as our taste buds change, um, some of the things that we, we thought we didn't like, we actually do and uh Ridiccio and chicory, you know, I love them now, but I didn't used to I, th- I remember when my mum put them in the salads, and uh yeah, they were really sort of off putting uh It's funny, isn't it how 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 our our feelings but change. it but
0: it brings them to life and it gives them a character the tomato as well on page hundred and six. Can you read that one? that's one of my favorite ones. That's a bit sexy actually Gil Is it. Go on, give it a read.
1: <laughs> I live only for morning, for your rise across the wooded hills, to drink from your throat and from the grit I'm in. Nothing interests me except your voice and the women that pick us when you're gone.
0: So tell us about that one.
1: Well, that's just about that uh, relationship a plant has with the world around it. You know, that the, the, the sun is the most important one. So... The most important thing to the tomato is seeing that sunrise come up over the hills um, to sort of drink that energy from, from the sun. Um, it's the only thing that interests it. You know, there's nothing else apart from later on in the year when the sun it, it has done its job uh, and then the tomato waits for the women or the men to come and pick them. Uh, and take them into the kitchen in a lot of these uh poems it's about the the plant wanting to be eaten it wanting to to have a purpose to to feed someone to to satisfy someone um and yes that's the tomato one i like that one too Ginny actually. it's
0: very beautiful and the and the photography that goes with it i mean tell us about andrew montgomery's photography you've worked with him for a very long time this is quite a different type of photography that you've used this time
1: did you work together on it oh gosh we worked side by side you know on every turn really um so this this is my third book with andrew uh We have the the best working relationship I could hope for, really. We understand each other's creative uh, approach. Uh, Sometimes we don't even have to say anything. We we, we just get each other and what the goal is and what we're after. So with this book, we were actually quite nervous about making it stand out, making it feel different, Uh, producing something that was genuinely... Uh, genuinely different from everything else that's being published. To be honest with you, I know that sounds kind of selfish to say, but it's it's a tough world out there if you're making food books, and we didn't want to make anything that sort of fell, you know, fell into the the kind of regular traps. Um, so we really made an effort to think of ways of creating images that that illustrated our ideas, but in a new way, in a different way, in a way that no one else had done before. And I think we sort of succeeded by by creating these still lives of, of plants, um, but not in the way you might think, um, not not in the way a normal photographer would choose to, perhaps. Uh, we didn't even use a camera for, for this purpose, believe it or not. Um, what did you use? Well, it was, a, it was an approach that um, we've actually sort of decided to, to sort of keep close to our chests, um, only in that it, it felt really magic, uh, the way the, the images came out, and that's, that magic is kind of staying with the book, really.
0: Wow, so, that's amazing. I- So, I mean, let's describe them then. I mean, they don't look like photographs. They look like paintings. They're photographs of your plants that you write your beautiful poems about very often. So the tomato, for example, it it absolutely looks like a painting.
1: There is that painterly quality about them, but they're not paintings. Um, They're just very beautiful images. Um, I... I wouldn't want anyone to think that we sort of shot them in any way, you know, uh, digitalised them or, or anything like that, because we didn't do any, you know, there's no effects whatsoever added to them. Uh, but I really love them. And I think that they they do make the book feel a bit different. Um, and yes, they relate to not only the poems, but these are these are ingredients that I've, created lots of recipes around and for um so the tomato the tomato image um you know there's four or five very different um delicious recipes uh, that use tomatoes and uh, that theme of of choosing um, one of my favorite ingredients and then creating a whole host of recipes around them i think it's quite practical for the cook because If you're cooking seasonally, it might be that you've got a glut of courgettes or you've got um, three or four um, squash sat on the windowsill that you want to use. Well, you don't want to cook the same thing. Uh, So having lots of options is great.
0: And that leads us very nicely to your fourth food moment. Um, The tomatoes on toast with olive oil, mint and lovage all from the garden.
1: Yeah. So tomatoes when they're in season when they're grown locally when they're when they're picked at at their absolute best you know when they're ripe and soft and warm uh, they are one of the the most amazing things to eat and everyone who's had one like that will know what I mean Um, just the smell of them is enough to sort of get you salivating um, let alone the taste Uh, when you've got something so wonderful like that it, it, it's sometimes a good idea not to overcomplicate it not to to do anything um t- too much to it so this recipe for tomatoes on toast uh, is is one of the best ways i think you, you could possibly serve them uh, but it does rely on that that amazingly ripe tomato so track those down and then you're you know it's all plain sailing from then on um what I like about this recipe is that it takes me back to all sorts of different places, um, all sorts of different summers in uh, in in france in in Greece um, at home you know in the southwest here uh, that 's what 's magical about seasonal cooking. You get whisked back to to another time uh, to to last year to five years ago, whenever it was. Uh, tomatoes have this amazing capacity to do that um, I don't know what it is it's the smell it's something that, that really evokes this kind of sense memory anyway I tear up the tomatoes because they're so soft and so ripe so instead of cutting them you tear them with your fingers and thumbs and break the juice and you sort of you sort of create a, a texture to the mar- to the tomatoes that that clings to the olive oil um it it's it's an interesting way of doing it tear the tomatoes put them on the toast let the juices run into the to the toast uh the herbs i've chosen to to put with the tomatoes um mint and lovage well they're both very easy to grow at home Uh, mint especially easy um they're both perennials. They'll come back each year, so you don't. Once they're in the ground, you don't have to worry about them. But that combination of the sort of um, cuminy, spicy lovage, and the the cooling mint, absolute winner with tomatoes. Uh, I think the recipe as a whole sort of goes some way to illustrate how simple these these recipes are in 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 the book itself. Uh, they. You know, they're all about the ingredient and and not about overcomplicating them. Yeah. Just um, celebrating uh, lovely fresh produce.
0: Absolutely, and it is the way to change our the way we eat. It's so easy. It's so inviting. And it really does make an enormous difference in terms of climate change and uh, supporting farmers. So it's a huge win-win. Yeah, uh, It's a wonderful read as well, and it's absolutely beautiful to look at. So thank you so much, Gil. It's been a total delight, as always.
1: Thank you very much, Gillie. Uh, likewise, an absolute delight. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Thanks for listening. Please share, review, subscribe and all that kind of thing. And if you fancy signing up to the mailing list, head over to Gilliesmith.com. And I'll be back next week to take you to Slovenia to meet the 2017 best female chef in the world, according to 50 Best, Anna Roche.